when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. The room shook like a, a, a wind. It filled the room. There was this visible manifestation and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. It was this unexpected miracle that defied essentially laws of, of science and expectation. This unexpected miracle uh, came upon them. It seemed spontaneous and instantly these people were able to speak in a multiple set of languages. They were able to speak in, uh, the, the Greek word is dialectos, dialects and languages. Pentecost, this is, the, it was just Pentecost, 50 days, 50 days after Passover. And what happens when this occurs? What is the response we read in verse 5? Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound... The crowd gathered and was bewildered. Clearly the sound was significant enough that people in the city heard and noticed. They gathered and were bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. In our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. So this unexpected miracle occurs, and this large population, diverse population, attests to this miracle. They, they proclaim it. They declare this is miraculous. Nations, the Greek word is ethnos. That is that there were a variety of ethnicities present in Jerusalem, perhaps because of the Passover. But there were these a significant number of ethnicities that were present when this occurred. I, I took a list here to see. I counted 16 that were mentioned here. Parthia, Media, Elam, Mesopotamia, which is in the valley between the Euphrates and Tigris River. Judea, the southern part of Palestine. Cappadocia, the province of the interior of Asia Minor. Pontus, northeast uh, Asia Minor. Uh, the Roman province of Asia, which is the present-day uh, Turkey. Phrygia, which is a district of Asia Minor. Pamphylia, Egypt, Libya, Cyrene, Rome, Crete. Arabia, all of these ethnicities and more were present and were hearing them speaking in this native, their native language, Gana'o. Gana'o is their birth language. The language they spoke at home, mother to baby. That's the language that suddenly these people were able to speak. You know what happens when, when somebody speaks your heart language, your birth language. 
there's an immediate sense of familiarity. It's like, you know me. You, you know where I'm from. Like, you know, you know where I'm from. You might know my people. You, it's amazing what happens. This connectedness that, that happens, this relationship that is built almost immediately. And how do they respond? In verse 12, all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered or joked. And they said, they are filled with new wine. They're drunk. Well, I don't know of an alcohol that would enable you to speak all these languages. So the joke is really on those that were sneering. Because this isn't being foolish. This is like suddenly you're able to speak all, like all these different languages. They were amazed and perplexed at this amazing miracle. Because what they were witnessing was exactly what the, the, the disciples were talking about God's deeds of power. And they were hearing this in all their birth languages, but they were witnessing it because they were hearing these languages. They were witnessing the deeds of power. And these uh, disciples were talking about the fact that Jesus was alive, that he had resurrected. And then not only that, but he had ascended and he is somewhere. We're not sure where, but we, we saw him and all these people saw him. And they're hearing all of this. And it's, it sounds like it's good news. It sounds like God's favor that Jesus talked about is recorded in Luke chapter 4. It sounds like God's favor. It is the essence of the gospel message in their own language. And this is one of the definitions and examples in what grace looks like. The technical, theological, doctrinal term is prevenient grace. That means that the gospel, the message, is inspired and illuminated by the Holy Spirit and is given to people even before preceding their free choice to receive or reject it. It's just given to all these people. Here, this is the message of Jesus Christ. The grace that God gives, that he gives them this language. And says, here, listen to what's happening. Listen to Jesus. This grace upon grace. And their response ultimately is, what does this mean? They're trying to process the significance of what they're experiencing, what they're hearing, what they're seeing, and what they're experiencing. I love that question. That's a really inspired question. Like, what in the world? What does this mean? Well, it means that God desires for all people. He desires for the gospel to go to all people. God desires for all ethnicities to hear the gospel, the good news about Jesus. And he desires for followers of Jesus to share that good news. God desires, further, God desires to empower people to share good news, to hear good news, and even to respond to that good news. But there's even more going on here. There's more going on than what does God want from them or us. And even more going on than what does God want for them or us. There's something else going on. This is a powerful and profound moment. And it seems spontaneous. 
But 800 years earlier, the prophet Joel, inspired by the Holy Spirit, said there would come a moment, there would come a moment, oh, we need to read it. In Joel chapter 2, 28 and 29, then afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female slaves in those days, I will pour out my spirit. God is up to something. He's working. He is doing something. That was 800 years prior. Joel prophesied 2,000 years earlier than that, around 2800 B.C., when the population was engrossed in building cities. We understand at the time of the 2800, 3000 B.C. that there was primarily one language, and they were interested in urban development. And part of the cityscape was to build uh, a tower. And we have archaeological uh, excavation that has helped us with providing a lot of information that archaeologists have done, including this, and these towers called ziggurats. And they were meant to be built, and they were like layers on layers in a triangular pyramid kind of fashion with stairs. And the point of these ziggurats, ziggurats, ziggurats was for, the idea was that they wanted God to come down to them. They were creating a space, and the zigg ziggurat was connected to a temple so that God could come down to this space, and they wanted to create this, this holy space, a sacred space to be with God. There was this innate sense of, of missing sacred space with God, a sense that they had lost it at some point in their, in their uh, uh, history uh, in the past. Kimberly and I visited um, Mexico and uh, in Oaxaca, and we went out to the outskirts, and we saw ruins that were 2,000, over 2,000 years old, and we saw something similar where they had built this, this high place. And it sounds good. They wanted God to come down and to have this sacred space, but then we read in Genesis 11, Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we shall be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. So the problem, the sacred space was a great idea, but the problem was that when they were doing this 3,000 years uh, earlier is that they wanted to make a name for themselves. And so God did indeed come down as we read and he saw what was going on and it wasn't good, and so he confused their speech, and suddenly all these different languages, miraculously, they weren't able to speak to each other because now all of a sudden they were speaking in languages that they couldn't understand each other any longer, and he scattered them because a trajectory towards self-aggrandizement, a sense of getting great for yourself would be ruinous, and we see that to this day when kings and Presidents and emperors want to be great, and it's deadly. 
And God said, we can't have it. So he scattered their population by miraculously all these different languages. So we come back to Acts chapter 2, and what is going on here is that the Holy Spirit, God by the Holy Spirit, is beginning to reverse all of that by giving them languages so that they can speak to the people, all these different ethnicities. He is reconciling everyone to himself. He is giving everybody the opportunity to hear about the risen and ascended Lord Jesus Christ. So what we understand is that above it all, God desires, yes, He desires togetherness. He desires to be with people. It's actually with, even over and above anything He wants from us, and even over and above anything for us, it is that He wants to be with us, with human beings together with Him. The sacred space is people. The sacred space is community, together and with Him. Dr. Jennings, who I provided a link for, he's a pastor, a professor, an author, a brilliant man, and a great preacher. Dr. Jennings said, this is... The, this Acts account, this time in history, is the revolution of the intimate. It's the revolution of the intimate. It's the birth of belonging for all ethnicities. And the joining of all of that began through this work of the downpouring of the Holy Spirit. At the very outset... Because of God being love and his love that is one that is expressed, he created human beings. And as soon as he created human beings, he said it was very good when, when human beings were themselves in community. It's not good to be alone, human beings. It's not good to be alone. And it's certainly not good to be alone apart from our creator. And so he built all of that. But then we keep on wandering and we keep on wandering. And then finally God just does this miraculous effort of pouring his spirit. And that is also our final destiny. We aren't just floating in clouds. When, when we die, it's a new birth. When we die physically, it's like being reborn. But it's not just eating cream cheese and floating on clouds. Community is also the destiny Together, in time, but without end. Revelation, let's go to Revelation chapter 7. I just want to read this. So, Revelation chapter 7, it's so cool how this all gets arranged at the beginning of chapter 7. John is given this revelation of all of the tribes of Israel. And he recounts all the tribes of Israel. And you think, oh, it's just going to be all the tribes of Israel. And that's going to be it. No, no. Because in verse 9, he says, after this, he, all the tribes, and then he goes, after this, I looked. And there was a great multitude that no one could count. 
And from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white, like victorious and pure and holy, robed in white with palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice. They had a worship service saying, Salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. Nations, every nation, every language, every ethnicity, so much so that you couldn't count. This was the vision that John was given about what it would be like someday, someday, friends. This is what God is up to. It's one word for you this morning. And that is withness. Withness. It is the foundation of it all. Withness begets witness. Withness. Withness. It's his name. Emmanuel. It is God with us, withness, but it's also withness. I will be with you, even to the end of the age. And when that age, this age is done, I will be with you. It's what Jesus was trying to explain to Mary and Martha. Martha's turning around, trying to be a good host. And he's like, Martha, Martha, Martha. Withness. Mary's, Mary figured it out. I don't need a clean house. The dishes will keep. Witness. So what do we learn about God through this? God communicates. He is a communicator. He's alive and he communicates. And he is interested in an expansive mission. An expansive mission. And he is impartial. Praise the Lord. God is impartial. Can I get an Amen. Amen. It doesn't matter about your height, your weight, your skin color, your hair, your no hair, your age, your gender. He is impartial. And he is near us. He was with the Israelites. He manifested in different ways. He sent prophets. And then witness when he sent his son I mean, witness to the point of taking on human flesh and being found in human form. Even bestowing this miraculous occurrence on Mary who would give birth. Witness. And then, after Jesus, the Holy Spirit, Brian Blount, another great uh, professor, pastor, Dr. Blount, he has a book called, And the Whisper Put on Flesh. The Holy Spirit came down on this group. And suddenly the group embodied the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus was talking about when he said, you're going to do even more when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The power of the Holy Spirit. What do we learn about the Holy Spirit? Incredible abilities and capabilities. Also uncontrollable. You're not going to put the Holy Spirit in a box or a category. He's not rock and roll. She's not jazz. The Holy Spirit. Uncontrollable. But certainly one that can affect our 
faculties, our abilities, and our capabilities. What we understand from this miracle is that the Holy Spirit actually touched the person's tongue and cognition and ability to speak in a language that they had no concept of prior to that moment. The Holy Spirit, brothers and sisters, is the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead and is here right now. Right? I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. What am I going to do? I'm not making it up. Paul says he will do far more abundantly than all you could ask or imagine. So the expectation isn't that we're going to rally ourselves or we're going to try harder. The expectation is Holy Spirit, come in power. Holy Spirit, rain down, pour down. We want to see more of you. Holy Spirit, oh yes. And He guarantees, the Holy Spirit guarantees what we humans cannot. And that is that we will experience and share in and participate in the revelation of God's deeds of power. The Holy Spirit will do that. In community. In withness. No wonder the enemy's two primary tactics are to try and get people to be quiet and to try and get people on their own. One of Jesus' favorite metaphors in speaking about uh, followers of Jesus was a flock. That he was a shepherd and they were a flock. Well, can you can imagine what happens to a flock if you can just get one of the sheep away from the flock and then also get them separated away from the flock and also get that sheep to be quiet. That's what the enemy tries to do. Separate and destroy community and get people to be quiet. And the Holy Spirit says, no, no, we're going to bring you together. We're going to bring you together. There are ramifications brothers and sisters. There are ramifications to this witness. There are ramifications to being together. It means that we place priority on relationships. Relationship is the first priority. It isn't being right. It isn't a stance or a position, but relationship. Presence with other people is a priority. And that's difficult and it's complicated. It's difficult and it's complicated, but so needed. We come together partly out of obedience, a lot of it because we need to be together, this sense of need, but also because of an experience that we have when we do come together. When we come together in small groups and in larger groups and whatever those are, that we experience the presence of the Holy Spirit when we are aware and open to it. We bear one another's burdens. We think of the other person even more highly than ourselves. It's so needed, this community, and yet so difficult to do because it means that we need to change. I need to change when I'm with you. I need to be willing to change, that I'm willing for you to change me, and I submit to you, and that you're willing to be changed as well. And that's why people just flee or they get away. We need to be in community, but it's hard because, because I, might, I might change, and you might impact me, and I might impact you. The implications and ramifications. Loving our neighbor. I want to pause for a moment, for some Q&R. 
And then we're going to finish up. The implications of togetherness. If you have a question, you can stand where you are. We'll bring a mic to you. Or you can text or email. And we'll, we'll uh, take your questions. If, if uh, We'll just take a minute and then we'll keep on going here. When Jesus said, love your neighbor... Now that takes, we understand, a requirement of the Holy Spirit. There's a, a question there. Lyle's got a question. Love your neighbor. That's, that requires the work and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Um, when they received the gift of tongues, you know, like the little tongues, and they could speak all these different languages, yeah. I've often wondered, um, what if they were in a crowd with people speaking all these different languages? Would they have to speak it? Ten different times, or would everybody hear it in their own native language as well? So, give that to me again. Okay, so rather than just being able to speak Italian or whatever, yes. What if they're in a crowd of a bunch of people yeah. that spoke a bunch of different languages? Would they have to keep repeating uh, what they're saying, or right. is it possible that the people would actually hear right. in their own language, whatever? Right. Yeah, yeah. It's good, Lal, and I think. I'm sure it would have initially seemed somewhat chaotic. I mean, they're listed 16. There are probably more. Uh, how many of you speak an, a language other than English? Yeah? Okay. Um, Eber, um, say uh, good morning. It's good to see you in Portuguese. Okay. Could you get the microphone to him? Let's do that again. Bom dia. Muito bom conhecer você. Okay. What's another language? Somebody have another language other than English? Yeah, at the back there. Good. In Chinese, Okay. I wonder what happens if I speak Chinese and I hear you speaking that. I I think what I do is I probably start walking to you. <laughs> you know, if you start speaking my language, I think I start coming right to you. I wonder if I, like, embrace you, I hug you, I'm like, right? And I come close. And so I think even in this sort of chaotic, crazy thing, I think when you hear some other language, Virginia speaks Italian, I'm like, oh, I got to, what? And, I, and, and I, so I think it sort of self-sorts itself out. But clearly, they heard, were hearing the gospel. They were hearing the deeds, the powerful deeds of God, and they could discern what it was. That's part of the miracle. So it wasn't just chaos. They were actually deciphering. They were trying to figure out what this means. And of course, there were cynics in the crowd. I, I don't know what kind of wine they had in those days that would make them think that they could speak these languages. Yeah, that's good, Lyle. Another question. Anything on the... On the... Uh that's come in by a text. Would the preeminent grace given those hearing the gospel a similar feeling of familiarity to hearing someone speak their native language? Does that make sense? Uh, give it to me again. Okay. Would the preeminent grace given those hearing the gospel a similar feeling of familiarity to hearing someone speak mm. their native language? Ah, okay. Yeah, and it's prevenient grace is the technical term. Would, would it be similar to... So would that news of Jesus be similar to hearing somebody speak uh, uh, that sort of familiarity of speaking in the same language. Yeah, it could very well be. It sounded to me like a lot of people 
if they were in Jerusalem and they had heard about Jesus and they had caught some of what was going on, when they heard this and were witnessing it in their own language, I wonder if there was a sense of, you know, I thought so, or there's a sense of familiarity, because they did lean in. There was a small group that were making fun of it all. But the thing about provenient grace, the thing about the grace about Jesus is that when you live out Jesus and you talk about Jesus, the Holy Spirit's preparing hearts and it can be quite attractive. It can cause people like Zacchaeus to give back money. It can cause a person who has been harmed by five different husbands to go and tell a bunch of people in town. It's amazing what can happen. Yeah, it's a good question. Well, I'm going to ask the music team to come back up here. You know, at the beginning, I talked about our vision statement. 